1: Hi, I'm Ade, and this is Black Ticulate. Black Black A podcast series that gives voice to positive black action. No matter how big or small. Hit me. What up, what up, what up? Uh, Alright. Um Andy, I know you personally, you're a very dear friend. Uh. But
2: for those who don't know you, do you wanna describe yourself? Yeah. My name is uh, Adwayo Andrew Akimuleri, most people know me as Andy Akimaleri. I was born in Nigeria, um, lived there till I was 8, then we moved to the lovely sunny city of Birmingham um, <laughs> Sunny city Yeah exactly, <laughs> yeah. now my parents live in America now so they've all, they're, they, they, they jump shit really yeah. Um, But yeah, like I'm, I was the first ever black male blue peach presenter in the uk um and it was an incredible five years of my life i you know I traveled around the world over 118 different cities um, met Jesus. some very impressively cool people um and yeah man like, like life has been good uh, along the journey i think um after that journey i think you, things start becoming a bit harder because um you start in many senses, you are now part of the rat race of TV presenters, and there are quite a lot of them. And
1: uh, oh, okay, so what? Like being a blue pre- a presenter, mm. it's a certain you only really have a certain shelf life.
2: Yeah, what well, you do, you do and you don't. I, oh. I I could have stayed for ten years, but oh, okay. on a personal level, I just thought I'd had enough. Um, five years is a good time in any job let alone a TV job and I kind of felt that if I didn't leave I wouldn't be progressing as a TV presenter or as a broadcaster which is why I want to be um it's almost as if it, it gave me the schooling it's like any job you know you yeah. realize you get to a certain point you're like well I think I need a bit more of a challenge I want to maybe try new things maybe work for a different channel um maybe work on a different kind of program that isn't so I guess uh, necessarily inspiring um, right okay and you know blue Peter comes with its baggage you know there's that kind of idea that you're a role model um which I didn't but you are I, yeah, but yeah, but that's the thing like you know you don't you don't think about it till you know you you start becoming more comfortable with the job. Okay. I think there's this idea um that I always had with Blue Peter that it always felt a bit worthy, and um oh. as much as it did, I didn't want that worthiness to come across as something that was a bit disingenuous, and um, so what I wanted to do in Blue Peter was to try and do things that I wasn't necessarily good at um because no, no lie. I, I rarely watched that show as a kid. Okay, I didn't. I didn't. I just. I wasn't that kid. I was Biker Grove, yeah. Grange Hill. Okay. Tough, tough programs okay. you know? I'm
1: gonna have to find out yeah. and how the hell
2: you got into. Yeah, this. No, that's the right? thing. I mean, that's the thing. <laughs> well, it's it's interesting because like Barker Grove is not really that tough, but it's it you know, so tough. I always say this to my friends. Right. I grew up Nigerian middle class. I came to Britain as a British working class yeah. person. So you that's know, okay, so. I, my entire family have gone to university. um you know we're very well educated people but financially we fall into the working class spectrum mm. in that respect but with sort of middle class aspirations um because that's where we came from my my granddad went to cambridge you know and I, this is a typical story of many of my nigerian yeah. friends you know come yeah. from very highly educated families but in British society, you are working class. So I've got this whole idea that I identify with British working class people. I identify with that struggle in many respects. But when I find myself in an environment that's very middle class, you know, like mm-hmm. I go to Whole Foods on the weekend because I've reached that point <laughs> in my life. So it's, it's OK, man. I, I get it. But, you know, like the thing is, it took me a while with Blue Peter because it was a, it is a very middle class very BBC show mm-hmm. and I, I, it took me a while to find my identity on that show um, because you know I was this young lad who'd grown up in Nigeria grew up in Birmingham and then all of a sudden I'm in this office just full of white people I, I don't you know right. that that's I was never used to that you know everywhere I've been has been very multicultural actually I tell you what my very first sort of taste of I guess lack of diversity and was a real wake up call for me in, in Britain was when I went to university. I went to Sheffield um, okay. up north in Yorkshire and I had a great three years. Had some of my best friends I met at university and um, that feeling of being in a club and being the only black guy, mm. it's a strange one. It's a real yeah. strange one. And I didn't think because I grew up in Birmingham, man, like yeah, Birmingham's so multicultural. multicultural like, sure. And obviously there is still a white black indian divide across the city but i didn't see it as that like i went to a very inner city multicultural school we had indians we had you know um, white people people from eastern europe a lot of jamaican that caribbean a lot of african you know and it was a melting pot and that's what i knew and then leaving home going to university was a real education on Britain. And not not necessarily a bad one. It just made me more aware of me myself being black. It sounds really strange. No, no, sure. And then I go work for the BBC. Okay, you see now you that's a leap. Yeah, that's a leap. Yeah, that's okay, okay. So time. you want to know that middle bit. Um,
1: I, I definitely want to know how the hell you managed to find yourself being a blue Peter presenter. Because right. okay. you know okay. fundamentally a lot of people will be like, Oh shit, okay.
2: Yeah. I well basically um I I did film and media studies at the university to the this taste of my parents who wanted me to do something a <laughs> bit more solid you know I, I used to lie for like three years ago I, I want to get into advertising that's why i'm doing it oh advertising yes that's a solid job <laughs> uh, yeah right. Uh, <laughs> right Yeah, yeah oh uh, yeah mom i want to get into advertising of course that's why you're doing this job like this subject Oh yeah, because they didn't get it. You know, you know, our parents grew up in an environment where either a doctor, a nurse, a yeah. lawyer, solid, solid jobs, so and they didn't get creativity. They didn't understand. And I always knew from a young age, from at the age of fourteen, fifteen, that I was interested in music, film, whatnot. You know, my mind, I was, I was a bit of a loner. You know, like I had friends, but on the weekends or when I go home, I'd go home, make my own little mixtapes. You know, I'd be I'd be talking really? to my little microphone thing. Yeah, like <laughs> nice. yeah, and I, I remember this um <laughs> nice. you know, I, I try to make, make my own music when I was when I was young. Like there was a there was a there was a, a pro- what? What there was a program on PC called EJ. DJ. And okay. basically what it was your age. Yeah, that's what I'm saying And, and there was these little, basically it was, just a, it was just a Library of samples and basically you put these samples Into a sequencer oh, nice. and then yeah it, And obviously you had effects just to make it be, And I remember I made my first sort of drum and bass Thing, I was like oh Because I, I was really, like page 14, 15 I was going to like drum and bass gigs bruv like, I was I was like, I you know, used to go to this thing called Flashback in Birmingham with my mates like And I used to lie to my parents obviously that I was staying at someone else's house So I always knew my brain was not Geared into that lifestyle of I guess not modernity but like that those kind of vocational jobs um and then uh after university I I was like I don't know what I'm gonna do so I moved to Manchester with some of my friends that I made at uni um and I was working at Harvey Nichols um department store as a, as a denim specialist because i you know i like my fashion you'll yeah. go into retail when you don't really know what you're doing and you know retailer also paid my way through uni i used to work at gap and stuff so i'd always yeah. been in retail i was like well, that's the first thing i know so i went mm. to that and then you know, six months into that i'm like i need to do something in my life man i can't i can't stand it
1: yeah
2: earning you know minimal wage and people are buying stuff from me that are earning ridiculous amounts of money right. some dude just drops a black amex and like, oh god i've never <laughs> reached that point point." and it's not that money's my, my driver but yeah, i was just I mean, like i think i need to be doing something more my life so plus the fact that you went to uni a lot of people who've actually committed
1: to completing mm. uni always feel they must be doing something more than if you didn't necessarily need to go to uni as a job. Mm. So, if I was to try and explain that a little bit, about, I mean, if you're in retail, and I mean that with no disrespect mm. to those who are in the retail profession, because it is a worthy profession mm. in itself, mm. and you can make a lot of money within it but you don't necessarily have to go to university to
2: do it. Exactly, exactly and there is that there is that idea that was in my head, you know, in, in a very Nigerian sense, what have you worked for, you know, yeah, like you've precisely. gone to university, um, If I, want, I never knew what I wanted to do when I went to university, I just wanted to do a subject that I enjoyed and yeah. I always knew I enjoyed film, I enjoyed the media industry and what was great about my course was that it was more sociology really, um, okay. talking about current affairs and moral panics and understanding how the media shapes the way we view our lives, you know, and you can only you know, need to look at the election to see yeah. how it's been incredibly um, poignant to the Conservatives winning um, <laughs> uh, but uh, bad media campaign Labour, sauce man it's really annoying but do you know what I mean um, c- we can do better next year oh, no, we've got four years to figure it out um, but like I've heard of that out yeah, you definitely it, put it, it, your politics out there <laughs> you definitely had but, I'm, yeah. I'm just a I'm just lover of humanity man yeah. and whoever can look after people uh, especially the lower you know it, 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 yeah or, or try to at least um you know gets my vote i'm you know this this is a, this is a whole different debate anyway yeah, right. quite, yeah. uh, so i i working as a denim specialist and i was just like i can't do this anymore um i need to get a i guess some something that is part of the industry i guess i signed up to yeah. and then i i got a job working in in a in like a a regional news program um in Leeds and i was living in Manchester so i was basically to and fro. yeah getting up help. every morning 5.30 in the morning getting the train for 6, 7.30 getting to work for 8 and 9 leaving it was like horrendous and I was on no money at all and I don't know how I survived I was living yeah. in Manchester and then what was interesting is through that time I'd managed to get a bit of a gig down in Birmingham with a guy called Robert Beckford who was um, who was basically a, a radio DJ he's a documentary maker now but he was he had his own sort of black magazine show on BBC Birmingham and I remember talking to him in the street and I was like you're Robert Beckford he was like yeah 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 he's like I want to get into, you know, i love to get into radio. It was like, well, why don't you come on my show and talk music? I was like, what? Amazing. And so basically, I was working in Leeds every day yeah. and then on the weekends, I was coming back to Birmingham and, playing records and talking. And what was interesting about that time is because I was working in a newsroom, I just, like, email, like, Universal Studios, wherever, and go, look, I'm doing a show on the BBC, keywords. Yeah, um, yeah. I need some new music to talk about next week. I, I was just being sent loads and loads and loads of music, like, all the oh, time. Amazing. Like, it was it was my thing. I really loved it. Um, and so I think that, that kind of began my sort of thought into broadcasting, and I didn't really think about it much, really. Um, it was just a bit of a pipe dream. There's something about it, and I think it's inherently Nigerian about me, where you're like, it's not a real job, though, is it? Like, it's not a real job, is it? Like TV presenting it's not a real job, though, is it? And I still convince myself today, it's not a real job. You know, like, it, it, you know, because you've been drummed into you from day one that you are not supposed to be doing these kind of things. <laughs> you,
1: don't really, you don't really have too much fun. Yeah, you know exactly.
2: You're not supposed to have fun. You're supposed yeah. to work hard, come yeah. back, complain how hard you've yeah. worked, yeah. and complain how how you kids are eating all the food in the house and you haven't got any money. That's how it's supposed to. Be. Me, you know <laughs> and, I like that yeah. and, and for me you know I was, was yeah it was my little it was like little fun thing and then the real job was going to the newsroom and trying to be a news assistant and I knew my heart hearts I didn't want to be there right. so six to eight months into that I've got a six month period where whether or not it clicks for me or not that's oh. how I work usually okay. mentally um, six to eight months into that I was just like I can't be here it's like not that I don't respect regional news. Um, the stories just weren't talking to me. Um, I'm a news assistant, and the, the role would have carried on to me being like a, a news journalist um, in the local area, in Leeds and Sheffield, or whatever. And I didn't have any connection to that region yeah. at all because I'm from Birmingham, yeah. so, you know. And you're the only black and the it, 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 <laughs> no, no, Mate, you're not wrong. I still was in that respect. So there was another Asian gun in the office. And <laughs> I think you, you, you then start looking at, at that point. And seeing, you know, there aren't many ethnic minorities in the industry in many respects, Um, and not just that. You know, I always ask myself why, and do a lot of ethnic minorities feel they're represented enough, and that is a viable solution and a viable place for them to work. You know, if there aren't any role models that you see on day to day, do you think that's where you want to work? And secondly, you know, if I'm talking from a Nigerian perspective, and I know a lot of my Indian friends as well, it's like. Those kind of jobs aren't pushed to us from our mm-hmm. parents. Our parents aren't telling us, you know what, you could be the next newsreader. But we all consume the media, but not one of our parents is telling us, you know what, why don't you're really entertaining. You, you could be a comedian, mm-hmm. you know. Okay. You're already good at it because they're all, they're, they're, our families, we're, we're from immigrant families, and their sole impetus was to survive. Mm-hmm. And that does not equate survival by having a job that no, they're not quite sure about. Mm-hmm. The one that really showed, and you know, I, even I look at my parents now and, they still never fulfilled their full potential because their, their sole focus was to put bread on the table for the family and yeah. whatever it was to do that, they had to do at that time, you know. It was urgent. Yeah. Got five kids, need to put bread on the table. And they, only now I'm, I'm talking to my parents and they're like, oh, I might go on holiday. <laughs> there you
1: go. Hey guys, before we return to the episode, I just wanted to say I appreciate you listening. And if you'd like to get involved, then please visit www.blackticulate.com for more information. Now, let's get back to the episode.
2: I got um, a job. Right. Um, I, I basically took the day off work, and there was this sort of diversity scheme in, in Manchester, and um, Paul the Sicky. and I was like, oh, I can't get up today. I've been sorting this diverse thing, because like, I knew the BBC were coming into town, so I was like, always been a dream to work for the BBC or Channel 4. They were the two channels I had in my head. Like, um, and they are like, do you, um, you know, what are you up to now? And sort of talking about the news. I went, like, okay, cool, um, st- and then they really interested in me. I was like, oh, okay, this is interesting. And then um, I got a call like the day after going. Um, so hold up. So they were in town. What does that mean? Oh, that so, so there's like a big diversity thing to try and get more ethnic minorities. Is that still going on? Yeah, it does from time to time. yeah move on, move on up. Yeah, it, I I think um, oh, I'll put out the show notes, guys. Um yeah.
1: Anything that we talk about that you guys want more, you know, details on, I'll just put it in the show notes. Yeah, next.
2: move on up. I think it was called. Um, and they were it's basically a BBC initiative, skill set, Channel 4, whatnot. It's basically a room full of um, execs and, you know, people that hire in the media industry. And they're like literally going, how do we get more black people? How do we get more ethnic minorities into the media? Um, just come down, you know, and I almost that's a, that's a good thing is yeah it, it is a good thing is, but for me it's, it's, everything's about sustainability you I know um I, I think it's one thing getting people in the door Is another thing actually understanding the needs of those people that are coming into the door you can't assume that they're going to fit in very quickly to a very white middle class environment mm. you know there, there's a set of expectations that come you know the, there's a certain etiquette that right, you know yes. so my, my thing is what's the sustainability do you you bring people in, great, but if people feel completely disillusioned with the environment they're in, what's the point of being there? Right. You know, because you you quickly lose love for the job because you're like, well, no one really talks like me, no one really gets me, um, and it, it it's 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 not really an inter sometimes not an integrating experience. I'm very lucky, like my family have travelled a lot, um, and you know my my view isn't solely a black view. My zoo my view has always been a world view. Right. That's the way I, I've always lived my life. You know, like black, white, Cuban, and Asian, I'll shake your hand, we'll have fun. And like, you're, you're my friend. I, you know, I know it sounds overly liberal, but that's just the way my family are. You know, like, you know, I grew up, my mom loves her opera, my dad loves cheesy French music. My parents love ABBA music, do you know what I mean? As much as Fela Kuti. So yeah, that, yeah. That's, that's, that's the environment I grew up in. Sound of music was being played in my house from day one, bro. Like, you know, so <laughs> that's, you know, that's how I was brought up. So I've never been brought up thinking, oh yeah, you're black. Yeah, of course, definitely. Because I've always been brought up to understand that actually, unfortunately, in the world, the colour of your skin does affect certain opportunities that come your way. Um, right. That's just a, you know, I'm not even going to lie about and nothing that. Nothing more so than actually in the entertainment entertainment, entertainment industry. The media industry. And before. I had never really thought about sort of getting into TV. So I came in off the back of that meeting with the BBC. Yeah. Um, I came in um, to do a job for six weeks working behind the scenes as a runner. So if you guys don't know what a runner is, it's basically it's the most junior position in TV. You're the T-boy, basically. Okay. And you're running errands. But in the meantime, they were training me up on cameras and stuff, and I was really enjoying the experience. Um, What I hadn't told them um, was that previously – Going back and forth here. But previously, um, me and a friend of mine had made a few documentaries around Manchester when I was living there. I, f- I fitted a lot into Manchester, actually. Nice. I didn't think about yeah. it. And we were really focused. It's actually one of my best mates from university as well, my mate Baz. Um, we made a documentary on British hip-hop. And what it was, um, it was it was literally on the rise of Dizzy Rascal and um, Tiny was coming up, and then obviously I was a big I've always been a big fan of Roots Maneuver, and we just travelled around Manchester with our little handheld camera going. What do you think of British hip hop? Who do you like? Blah, blah, <laughs> you know. And I, I did a little summary at the end of it. It was so weird. And then, like... Is it still around? Does it exist? Do you know what? I'm trying to find it. I don't know where we find put it. It. We but you, it. But you <laughs> know what's either. weird? Off the back of that, and I didn't realise, my mate sent in uh, said that tape to Channel 4. And it was when T4 really were looking for presenters. And uh, this was actually my real first bout presenters. They were looking for presenters. And um, I got in, like, mm. to the final auditions. We did, like, a big thing. And I didn't get the job in the end. And I remember asking them, going, why didn't I get it? They were like, you just didn't want it enough. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> what? They were you know, like, we would definitely know that you've got talent, man, but, like, you, you didn't, didn't you, did, you didn't enough. feel like you wanted it enough. I was just like, I'm not a jumping
1: like bunny, say, but the that,
2: that's the thing. And from then, that point onwards, I was like, I don't think it's for me. Like, I'm not here to jump around for people. I'm just right. here to, you know, and the irony of now working for, then working for Blue Peters, so <laughs> you know, and then, you know, fast forward obviously back to where we were talking about being in being a runner in the bbc I was there for six weeks and I had an amazing experience. I was travelling around the country filming with young people and the show was looking at, it was basically there to inspire young people. It's called Level Up on a very digital kind of interactive level. All the kids would upload their clips online and the show was basically based in a studio and we had um, a group of panellists who were on webcams in their homes and it was a really interesting take on sort of modern uh, talk show or modern morning show for kids and it was brilliant. Um, And I was basically, it was my job to be out with a film team out around the country filming with... With different kids. So, for instance, a kid, you know, is decided that they're the best juggler in, in in the UK. So they show us how they juggle, and then we take those clips and bring it back on the show. Oh, and we discuss it, and it was really nice. And I then love that. imagine discussing how good. Yeah, you how good. But you know, but, guys, but like sure well. I'm trying to say. Like, <laughs> Like, so like, on, bro. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that <laughs> technique was Dodge, bro. You need to give that up, yeah. You need to so far in the You, yeah. you need to get a real job, bro. Do you know what <laughs> I mean? You sort your life out, um, and you know Chris that. And yeah, <laughs> yeah, man, it's, it's a tough industry, mate. Entertainment yeah. industry is tough, um, and that <laughs> really? sort of that six weeks turned into two months, oh, and mate. they kept me on. And um, I realised that, you know, looking back at it now, it was that youthful excitement and that youthful. Um, naivety that got me to London. I came to London on a six-week contract with a backpack, found a flat in like... It's not like modern London now, trust me, man. This is 10 years ago. I found a flat in Shepherd's Bush, moved in with these people I didn't know, and I just kept looking forward. I never I never looked back, just kept looking forward. And I didn't for once think I was just going for six weeks and that was it. I was just I'm six weeks. We'll just see where this goes. Yeah, And yeah. Just put yourself. Out six weeks has turned into two years. And, you know, that six weeks turned into two months. Um met some people after that two months i i was new in the industry um and this is what i talk about sort of teaching people to integrate and understand what the industry is about it's all good bringing black people in but if you don't tell them they need to network they need to talk to this this and this person because in my mind i'm like well where am i going to go from here mm. and i had nowhere to go like end of my contract where my leaving's part leave part. part i was like you've been really good what are you going on to next and i was like I don't know, like, um, I haven't got a job, like, but type like, thing. My yeah. Mind, yeah, seriously, in my mind, I was like, yeah. um, and everyone was like, oh yeah, I'm working on this programme, oh yeah, I was like, how do you do that? Like, do I need to email this production manager, oh, oh, now you tell me, right, you mm. know, because they assumed you have the knowledge, like, yeah. they assumed you're, you're coming there with the same knowledge as them, yeah. because, you. but you're not, because you've been brought in on a diversity scheme, yeah. so, it's sort of down to the industry to really help you out and say this is what you need to do to get jobs but they didn't have that and that's what I say about these diversity schemes they're great but you've got to think of the broader picture you know what are you teaching people you can't just bring them in and expect them to come in with your values One, yeah, yeah. Okay, you know? that's
1: interesting that's so anyway
2: interesting. two months was up leaving party I was at the BBC bar and I um, was chatting to this lady and she seemed really interested in me I was like look uh, I'm I ain't not for that. Uh, no, no, I'm serious. You cougar, G, G, you G, well, you know. You're in London, a young man like me, yeah. you know, an older Trust woman man. makes an advance. I'm like, look, I've been at the casting couch, cast. well, like, I'm ready, Rob, I'm ready. Uh, and um she she was really nice actually, she was really lovely And then with Katherine Patterson and um she changed my life. She was like, Look, I don't know about you but um we're looking for new presenters on Blue Peter and I think you'd be really good at it. I was like, Should I have you ever thought about presenting? And I was like, No, what are you on about now? Okay. She was like, seriously, I think you'd be really good at it. She was like, have you got any footage? I was like, yeah, I've got this thing that I did in Manchester, like that documentary. But yeah, take a look at it. And she was like, honestly, if you don't want it, you don't have to. You know, you don't have to audition. But I think you'd be really good at it. She, I mean, she basically pulled me. In my mind, I was like, Ooh. you know,
1: that, that's really interesting actually, because often the case is
2: people often say, you know, working your strengths
1: and. Find what it is you're mm. good at and what you want to do, and you know you pass your passion, mm. therefore make you money, kind of thing, right? It's success. But then, funnily enough, it actually might take someone else who's who's seen it, done it, mm. been there, to spot that within you.
2: Yeah, massive. Do you know, massively, so... massively. Yeah, but that's the thing, and and I think, you know, I'm not, I'm kind of not used to that in a weird way. Like I always, if 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 I'm being really analytical and quite deep, you go, I go back to my childhood and like. Nigerian parents aren't often the most supportive. They're just like, do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. Do it. So when someone's like, I see something and you're like, no, 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 I've got like a real job to do. So <laughs> yeah. thank you. Like, yeah. and you become really humble and you become like, no, 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 no. I'm all right, thank you. And then that's not for me because my mm. parent, because mommy said <laughs> yeah. you don't do jobs like this. You could, you basically think of earning the crust and you know. And there was a bit of that i mean massive tussle, and I was just like, really, nah, it's not for me. My heart, I've asked like, on my blue pea. Yeah, I've never watched it, but like that'd be yeah. sick, bro. Yeah. Um, and and then, um, you know, I got a call, like, week after, and she was like, um, "Show the tape to the boss, we'd like to see you if you're up for it. I was like, what? Yeah, they, they were right in the middle of the auditions process, but, you know, so they put me through a lot of stuff, and I didn't really know what the plans were, but in my mind, they'd already seen me and thought, Museum. Yeah. And, like, hundreds of people around the country auditioned, and a month later, I got the job, man. Like, Amazing. Yeah, and, you know, and, and, and then... And you were def- you, you were fast tracks. Yeah, pretty yeah. much, pretty much, pretty and much. I look at it do, now. Do you, find, do you find
1: that that is really quite telling of the industry, where it's almost
2: who you know. I mean, to a certain degree, yeah. Um, to a certain degree, I mean, you're not, you've got to network, and you've got to speak to people, but, you know... Not look, doing you the service. Yeah, sure no, but, but looking but, but actually, sounds way, looking back at it now, you know, like, me being at that BBC bar was a form of networking. Mm. I didn't have to be there. I could have gone, oh, guys, I'm going to go home. But, you know, that's where all the execs and stuff at the BBC are. You're meeting people, you're chatting to people, and... Turns out she was an assistant producer on the show and saw something in me. Like, but it's that thing—is it? it's—do you take the blue pill or do you take the red pill? You know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. and it, it could be—who knows where that your destiny will end? You know, <laughs> do like.
1: You feel, do you feel like so? People, people listening to this, mm-hmm. they—they have every right to say, well, you know, you just got lucky, kind of thing. Yeah. You know, someone saw something in you, mm-hmm. but I might not be so fortunate as in someone seeing something in me. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. how the hell do I become? The next blue peter presenter mm. now I'm often of, I'm of this mind frame and argument that basically luck doesn't exist luck is basically meaning that you are prepared for an opportunity so if you're always prepared when you spot that opportunity you take it mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean mm-hmm. um, so I guess my question really is truly is if someone listening to this was saying well how do I Get into those networks, the BBC networks, you know, or parties and stuff mm-hmm. to network. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. What can what can they do? It's it's really tough because it's like getting the foot because, in the door, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, like that, but the thing with the BBC is because it's a big institution. Their parties happen within the BBC. Precise. If you know what I mean, like yeah. so, it's almost like having to come in. But you know, it wasn't until now. You know, now I realise the position I'm in with many things that I realise the the importance of going on a scheme like that. You know, I've, I've always been quite militant in that respect. You want to take on the merit of who I am, not because of the colour of my skin and stuff. And it's true. That's what everyone wants. But it's like sometimes you've got to play that game. Um, and I hate to say it, but you have to sort of play that game where you're like, right. But then if I was smart at that point, I'd be like, what am I, what is this doing for me? I was just happy-go-lucky. Yeah. Right, let's go. Yeah, wicked. Let's do it, man. Ready. Yeah, You know, that's that's always been my, my focus, my agenda Right, if it doesn't work out, cool, next You know, that's always been the way I, the way I live my life And I don't want people in the, you know, in our community especially To, to ever lose that Because, you know, we know there are obstacles along the way yeah. There always have been And even now, you know, there are You know, we know the state of Britain today I see it day to day on the streets, you know Like, I get that but I don't want us to lose that because actually, what people don't realize is that the other, which I will call white middle class Britain, okay. when they see similarities in you, they're more. It's 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 easier to bring bring people in if you know what I mean. Yeah, like of I'm not saying you have to assimilate. Cultural, yeah. yeah, it's not you have to assimilate into society into their society. But we all have things in common. Yeah, of course. Do you know what I mean? I feel like my blackness is not something I have to wear. It's something that you can see and you know, like I'm def- hes definitely different. <laughs> like yeah. this guy's definitely different to me. But actually, there's something about this guy. Um, he, he likes to talk to people. He's warm. He's friendly. He's interesting. All those things, you know, he's fascinating. Hey, folks. I'm Mark Maron from the WTF
3: podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues
2: All those things are beyond colour.
3: Yeah.
2: And that's the way I live my life. And that's the way, you know, like, and I think sometimes, and because it's very rare sometimes to be in these environments where everyone's like white, middle class, you feel like a fish out of water. And you do. But it's the same as putting a working class person in a, in a very upper middle class environment. Regardless of colour, you will always be a fish out of water. Yeah. It's how you swim. Like, right. it's completely how you swim. Like, we'll always be in difficult situations. I'm not, don't get me wrong, I'm not overly optimistic about many things, but like, I always try and give it a positive slant because it's like, look, there's still a lot of work to do. Mm. Look, I'm one of the few black male TV presenters on television. Let's not talk about black females, which are pretty much none. Yeah. Indian, Asian females, none. Yeah. You know, Asian men, none. Yeah. You know, but we all eat at the curry restaurant on the weekend, don't we? We yeah. all go to the Chinese, We, all, you know. It's like at what level do you consume culture and what level are you allowing culture to flourish on on, on the public scene? You know, and mm-hmm. that's the thing. And I, I think that's the thing, that's the stuff I really struggle with um, in the industry because, you know, I'm still going into offices where I uh, I see a lot of white faces, which is fine um, because everyone deserves a job, and you know, it's fine because they've gone for a job not thinking because they're white they're gonna they're not going to get it. Yeah. They've just gone for a job of their dreams. Precisely. But, yeah, on the streets, like, I'm meeting young men, young women, black, white, whatever, going, how do I get a job in the media? And I'm like, this is interesting, there's a disconnect here. But do you know that there's this scheme? Do you know that there's that scheme? Mm-hmm. And the word isn't getting out because that middle-class organisation, which it is, it's it's like, you know, it's a big institution, are so in a microcosm, in a bubble, that mm-hmm. they don't actually know how to reach out. So they reach out in the wrong ways to, to people and they don't actually connect where they should connect. You know, that move on up thing, I don't know how on earth I, I knew about it. It's because I think I was working at ITV at the time. Oh, okay. Well, that was the regional station. Oh, right, got it. Yeah. It was an ITV regional station, and I saw something, like, on the flyer over there. I was like, oh, this is interesting. But why are you putting it there when there's no black people in that office? as one, and it reached no, me, but... Crazy. I was the only... If, if I wasn't in that office, yeah. that's that's a wasted pamphlet. Yeah.
1: No, no, I, I see that, But do but, you know yeah.
2: what I mean? That's a wasted pamphlet, yeah. because you're, you're putting it in these environments where there's no black people or a, Asian people. So... The white people are just walking past the going this is nice but it means nothing to me but right? you know it's for diversities next and so it's a wasted way you know now i think obviously they've probably changed their target and there's a lot more the thing with the bbc now is there's a lot more outreach stuff but they can still do more because i i think especially with the outreach stuff you are still you've still got a lot of very middle class people telling not so middle class people come, we want, to, you want, we want you to work for us. We want you to... Because there's not enough working-class representation, if you know what I mean. Oh, and you've, you've already created that division. It's like, you know, you're on stage, they're there, and you're going, we want your stories, but what's the follow-through? Like, yeah, we want your stories, but how do you encourage that group of young people not to write another story about gangland Britain or whatever? Yeah. Because that's all they know. Yeah. You know, and they don't want to do that, but actually you're like, but we want your real stories. And they're like, well... Well, well, no, like, yeah, but yeah. that's like every other story. So, how are you empowering that? It's, it's well, t- are you trying to pigeonhole me? Yeah, basically,
1: exactly, exactly. And you want me to continuously perpe- um, perpetuate that story and that narrative, it, it's it's ex- like a single narrative. Which it, it, is exactly,
2: dangerous. but but also, then you look at the education level of some young people, and you're like, well, that's all they know, that's and that's those they are they the know. only stories they can tell. So, how do we empower them enough to come into this environment and go, do you know what? I want to learn. Do you have an answer? I don't know. I don't I don't have the answer because I know from my from my from my point of view
1: yeah.
2: I've always been like I want to learn without prejudice without any sort of I, I'm you know I'm, I'm always wide eyed and ready to accept you know like I do the thing is I naturally have you know the restrictions and and naturally I feel like there are things within the industry that I don't agree with or I just don't understand because I just don't come from that background of many of these people yeah. but at the same time I find it really fascinating. I'm like, whoa! All right, we go to that country mansion. Cool, yeah. <laughs> All right, let's do it. <laughs> only black man in the village, man, man. man let's yeah, do it. Yeah, let's yeah. do it. Oh, cool. And you know, because you know, I mean, look, look at the things that I've accomplished. I look at it like him um, 3 Blue Beater, You know, I've got my skydiving license. Black men never knew were they able to do that. Yeah. You know, I've got my racing license. The only black man I know drives. Cars is Lewis Hamilton. Yeah. I've got a swimming world record. I don't see no black people swimming. And yeah. for me, like, those are those three things or things that I'm like, you know, while I was on that show, I had the, I had the privilege to be able to alleviate those stereotypes and just be like, look, man, yeah. I'm just a person, you know. And yes, we know there's a myth that black people can't swim. But why is there a myth that black people can't swim? Because even black people are too scared sometimes to be like, yeah, man, yeah, maybe I want I to right. I take that on. <laughs> But you you, you 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 basically live in this kind of perpetuated fear and make the excuses where you're like, nah, man, bone density broth, muscle broth. Like, <laughs> you, you're like, all you're saying is you're scared of doing something new and that something yeah. puts you out of your comfort zone. Yeah. And for me, it's the message that lies behind that, is that actually, by the way, this is not all black people. This is just a section of black people. This is a section of society, period, not even just black people. Mm. There are people in society that will always blame other people for their stuff, whereas actually... You Know there are other people in society that are looking for solutions, and you know, one of my biggest fears while I was on Blue Peter was that I would not be accepted by the black community because this is a show, it's a very much a white middle class show. The reason I didn't watch this show as a kid was because I was like, okay. none of these people relate to me, yeah. and I was really scared. And it was a big fear of mine because I'm, I'm, you know, I'm very Nigerian, I eat my first language is Yoruba, I you know, I eat my, I speak my mother tongue, I eat the food. Yeah. I love black culture you know my entire family's black you know like and i was a bit weary i was like do you know what what you know and i think this is something that comes from and it's, it's probably something back to what we're talking about uh how do um every is coming is that i think it's that idea that if you're in a in a if you're going into an environment that represents some sort of authority that you're selling out right and I think that, that's still an underlining factor within many, many people in our society, in our, in our cultural group. That's oh, interesting. Well, not all, not all. And I think it's all based on education. Like, mm. you know, my thing was, I've come from inner city of Birmingham. any of my boys see me, they're like, nah, bro, I'm so, sold so, out, sold so, out, man, sold out. So the sold question out. is
1: then, you being on Blue Peter, yeah. do you feel like you actually brought in a, I
2: guess, a, a black demo? Mate, I can't walk down the street Without some dude be like, "Yo, bro, you know, yeah. are you?" I'm like, "Yeah, what are you?" Th-? It's like, "Oh, man, you." I grew up with you, man. Like, so, so that's a, that's positive. No, it's incredibly positive, and yeah. that's the whole idea. So you haven't been ostracized
1: for no, a,
2: no. Like, but that was my biggest fear. You know, yeah, that was too. my biggest fear. Like, I don't know where it comes from, but like, that was my biggest fear that I would not be accepted in the black community because you know, like, I was just like, this is a really middle of the road show. Yeah. But then you start looking at the power of what you're able to do. Yeah. Excuse me. You're of like, course. this is really important. Like, how else am I going to be in every middle class family's home, other than a show like this? Mm. It's a direct access point. And it's like for me, for white Britain, I was like, I'm just Andy, just so you know. Yeah. Colors are relevant, and obviously with young people, it's easier to to throw that down. Just, they just they don't see they and don't really see it, it to yeah. that to that respect. And for the black community, Asian community, they've got some sort of ethnic representation on the stalwart children's programme of the world. It's the longest running show in the world in fifty years. But then what I do look at is in fifty odd years of that show and in 35, 40 presenters, not I think it's about thirty five or thirty six presenters, there've only been three ethnic minorities. Really? Four. Yeah, four. Jesus. That's a lot of presenters who are just white middle class men of the road. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they've only those those four presenters have only really come in over the last yeah yeah decade decade and a half um diane lewis jordan Cunny huck me and a guy called radzi right now it's only four ethnic minorities that have been on blue peter since it started 50 odd years ago
1: hey guys before we return to the episode i just wanted to say i appreciate you listening and if you'd like to get involved then please visit www.blackticulate.com for more information now let's get back to the episode Blue Peter just seemed, seemed fantastic. Mm-hmm. It was a great learning curve. Yeah. But now you're out of it because you didn't want to be pocketed and you wanted to continue your, your journey. Yeah, yeah. How, how are you finding that with blue Peter? What are the challenges you facing?
2: Okay, so I, I've, I've theorised this so many times because I think way too much. and well, that's good, and huh? And I, I rationalised it a lot. And I think there's two things, really. Um, one, breaking the mould of a children's TV presenter. That's Always challenging itself, it's challenging itself. Second, it's Miley Cyrus did it quite well. Yeah, well, I was, I was gonna go all spandex and like thongs and stuff, but I just thought it just wasn't my thing, wasn't you know. It. I think my ass needs to get a bit bigger, really. Like, you know, I can't quite work that stuff. The sledgehammer, though, licking, I did think that, but I was just like, I'm like, Tetanus, bro, man. You don't want to die in Tetanus, man. Don't do that. My mum taught me better than that. Um, I, um, yeah, so I, <laughs> I think, um, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I think, I think that. A big jump is, yes, the children's TV presenter turning into an adult presenter. That's a journey on its own. Yeah. Um, and the second one is, do we feel comfortable enough to have a black, you know, forefront male, female presenter in this country? I'm not talking, like, light skin. I'm talking black, black. Because you're
1: not talking about that Trevor, South African guy, who's now going to be... But that's in America. Yeah.
2: That's in America. Like, America's, like, a very weird... Um, paradox really um, huge problems with race relations but yet yeah, there, but there's been that civil, the, there's been a civil rights movement there's been an empowerment of, of black people and you know black you know the thing in America is if you can flip the bill people will take you in because it's it's, it's the most capitalist state ever you know that's like, yeah. why Jay-Z's running things because he's got the dough and yeah. he's respected on that level
1: yeah that's true
2: and that's how America works you know Trev it, it's here I, I think I think we still haven't had the discourse about the the dark past of Britain. I think this is something we still haven't encountered, no, really, no. or spoken about in this country. And um, Akala did something on The Guardian not long ago, and it's, I think it's gone viral, but he's talking about the institutionalisation of racism yeah. and without even realising what you're racist. And actually, to a certain degree, there's a bit at the end where I was just like, even black people have fallen into that form of racism like you see a guy driving around in a flash car drug dealer bro yeah it must be must be Yeah, like we fought, we've we've literally sapped in all that rhetoric ourselves and aren't even believing in our empowerment so we've actually devalued ourselves guy pops into the bank wad of cash puts it in I had to get get that money drug dealer bro no what what if he just likes his money in cash? Like, yeah, I mean, do you know what I mean? I mean like, you know, course. people. Yeah, some people right. don't like spending using cards. Like, they just like hard cash. <laughs> you know, and, that, and it's that thing. But that's what I'm talking about. Like, you know, that's why I studied it in, in university. Like, the media plays a ridiculous part, and that's why I feel like I'm very lucky to work in the media and actually have some sort of profile because that's you know it's about alleviating these stereotypes. And yeah, you know, talk about me leaving Blue Peter, and my struggles. Yeah. Being a Blue Peter presenter comes with its struggles because people think you're wholesome, lovely, sweet, blah, 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 And if I'm honest, that's why I left, because I knew it would take me time to shake off that mould. Right. You know, you're, you're so used to filtering and dumb, not dumbing down, but making the things you say a bit more wholesome, a bit more nice. And I always knew that wasn't me, you know, by the way I speak. Like, it's just not the way I talk. You know, I love hard stories. And the ones I really enjoyed were those stories that really got us into communities, countries that, you know... Uh, you know environments in countries that are really struggling like i I relate with that and i I love those hard stories the fluffy stuff like making stuff it's part of the job i didn't really enjoy it you know i enjoyed the travel i enjoyed the exploration because there's always something about me that's always wanted to be that backpacker you know i I grew up watching like you know people like michael palin and attenborough and all these guys and i'm like dude that's me it was it was irrelevant of color i didn't even think it's because I want to be white, I was just like, I just want to do that, you know, I want to, I would love these incredible stories, and I actually thought, I could do it better, you know, and, you know, leaving Blue Peter, people don't sometimes take you that seriously, yeah. you know, they're like, oh, need more experience, need more experience.
1: How much feel, though, I mean, like, the fact that you have been a presenter for, what, five years, I, that, that in itself opens doors, Yeah. I, I would imagine.
2: Bet. I've been a presenter for about nine years now. Oh shit. I, it's, I mean well, I mean Blue Peter. Oh from the I like said so from the yeah, oh, yeah, for so I left Blue Peter three years ago, so it's been a while. Yeah. Like and yeah, say so back
1: people still only recognise you via Of course. Okay. But that, that's you're still that, trying to shake it. That, that's the, it.
2: The, but the thing is it's like the Miley Cyrus Justin Bieber thing, you will never shake it off. People just need to see you in a different light. And whether or not people feel comfortable seeing you in a different light is completely down to them and you know and, and actually I mean I'll be honest in this, it's really affecting my confidence in many respects because you're like, I'm gonna go to yet another meeting and they'll be like, yeah, really nice to meet you, but next. Part of that's the industry. Another part of that is like, do you not see there's an opportunity here to really break the mould and like have a someone who's coming at it with a different take, you know, different colour, different mould to your program who, you know, has got the pedigree of doing live television documentary, entertainment, he's got it under his belt, like in a weird way, slightly overqualified for the job. Yeah. You know, invest in people. That's the thing. And I think that there's sometimes this tendency in our industry to be like, well, we tried it once, it didn't work. Yeah, but you don't do that with blonde people. You don't do that with like, yeah, you know, blue eyed people. Own, yeah. You don't do that. You don't do that. You're just like, they're just not talented enough next. Yeah. There's a plethora of different people in amongst the community that are either talented or not. Yeah. People will be stupid with their money. People will be you know dumb people whatever you know that's the thing but i always think you know we have different facets of white community you know the the outgoing the the sarcastic the intelligent but you only ever have this one type of black person on television Mm. you know has to be funny we have Mm. to be funny (laughs) like Mm. that's the thing humor has to because that's what black people do they're funny like they're really funny and you start thinking about it you're like well i am funny but I'm more than that yeah. you know like I, I I want to see a black documentary maker who's trekking the streets I mean Reggie Yates is crossing that boundary crossing that line now and he's uh, he, I yeah, watched re- yeah, yeah. a recent documentary he did in Russia I tweeted the guy I was like that is spot on slightly jealous because it's what I'd like to do but <laughs> you know you, you've, you've got to you've got to raise your glass to someone who, who who's actually stepped up and I think he's even he's had his struggles yeah, you cool. know I've read about his struggles with Radio 1 I've read about his struggles with the entertainment industry just not being able to do the programs he wants to do and now he's kind Kind of found a bit of a you know an output in BBC Three. I think that should be a, B- a BBC One documentary, yeah. I definitely think that should be a BBC One documentary, not a BBC Three documentary.
1: So, here's a question though I mean, do you guys, you, Reggie? I mean, forgive me, I don't really know many black TV
2: presenters. Here we go, it, and, it says a lot, and,
1: though, isn't it that does, it does. But do you need permission? What do you mean? I said, like, do you need permission from these like um middle class um institutions like BBC, you know, and ITV and whatnot? Hmm. Because nowadays, I mean, predominantly, I mean, if I was to look at someone like um, Jamal Edwards, mm-hmm. SBTV, he started. You know, you we all know mm-hmm. his story. Yeah. And like YouTube and like having a global reach now on the internet, mm-hmm. where it's a lower barrier, you could be doing. Can you not be doing this and earning without having to necessarily have passion
2: for? From- do you know what that? That's a very good point. Um, and it's something I've I've even considered myself. And you know, how do I just? do it myself and yeah. get out there. But there's something about the struggle that's like, I'm already in. Right. I'm already in. Like, I don't have to fight, you know, I don't have to make a YouTube clip to come in. Mm. I'm already in, yeah. you know, and I want just, I just want to keep going yeah. within. Like, yeah. everyone else around me that I've seen, you know, like, they didn't have to do a YouTube. Like, you know, this, this and that didn't have to do a YouTube. Why do I have to do a YouTube? Okay. Like, obviously, that. that is the future, naturally. But I grew up with all these compatriots that... Are doing really well right now, or have had a taste of the pie, and you're like, well, they didn't have to do this. Yeah. And you know, I remember I met an agent once, and they were like, "You're working too hard," and that that really turned it around for me. they were like, like the "You're working too hard," like because I'm always coming up with ideas, but which, which is what everyone says they want. Always come up with ideas, throwing things out there. They're like, "Bro, you're working too hard, man." Like not in a bad way, but you shouldn't be working this hard. Right. And I was that that really changed things for me. And I'm like, oh, okay. And how is that helpful? It's it is and it isn't, because it's very frustrating. Right. I think that's the biggest thing. It's very it can be frustrating. Um, but the thing is I, I really believe in what I have to offer. I really believe in my talent. Um, I I want to be, you know, as solid a broadcaster as you see your Ben Shepard, your Nick Knowles, your Dermot O'Leary's, your, you know, Caroline Flack now, I guess, to a certain degree. You know, your Philip Schofields, your Andy Peters. You know, I would love to add a few more female TV presenters. Your Tess Daly, your um, Claudia Winkleman. I'd love to be those people. They've had a very good career in the industry and work really well, and they're good at what they do. I don't see why I shouldn't do that and they've experimented in different facets of the industry they've done documentary, they've done factual, they've done entertainment mm. you know, I don't want to be pigeonholed as the factual guy you know, and, and I also don't want to be the guy that's just tossed around different BBC projects and they go, oh it's not quite right you know, I want you to listen to me and go look, how do we work with this guy, what are your interests, what are your passions you know, what do you like doing and I, sorry we can't do it because it's a bit too niche well then how do we make it less niche okay. that's your job
1: so here's a question, because I want to bring this into our listeners <laughs> What, let me, in fact, I'll, I'll give you a couple of light ones because I do want to wrap up, yeah. and I do want to wrap up. What advice would you give yourself? Yeah. Knowing what you do know now, um, when you first started or prior to you beginning this journey? Say that again. What is the... No, what advice? As in what, like, wisdoms can would you give your younger self mm-hmm. who, who's just about to begin this journey or wants to start the journey you're on?
2: have uh my my thing is have a clearer idea of where you want to be and where you went when what you where you want to end up a lot of it might not plan out to be the way you want it because plans always go out the window naturally you have to be flexible um but also don't lose that vibrancy that wide-eyed wonderment that sense of adventure that sense of you know what i'm just going to go and do it see what they say don't let anything that sometimes your parents might have told you hold you back because they've also grown up in a different generation mm-hmm. and they face a lot of struggles. Um, although some of that stuff is still relevant and right right now, but I'm still a fan of breaking doors down and holding people to account, just being like, look, um, there's no black people in the office. Can we get some more, please? Yeah. And if they're like, we don't know how to, you're like, well, I'll help you. Like, you know, And that's one of the things I did on Blue Peter, like, Got to my third year, I just, I just felt completely out of sorts, man. I had a bit of an identity crisis on that show because I was like, speaking like someone I don't know, like, you know, you do that a little bit because, because the show's got this big heritage. And one day I just came out of the office, I was like, there's no one who looks like me in this office. Like, there's no one I can have chats with. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's not that I expect black talk all the time, but it's yeah, like no, no, it. someone to relate to, you know, because everyone else is relating to each other. Everyone else is talking about their great weekends. Everyone else is, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. I do have those weekends as well, but, you know, I'm also of a different culture. And I just said to my boss, I was like, can we get more black people in the office, please? You know, never be afraid to speak your mind because there's a sense that when you're in, that you have to be grateful. Yes, I'm grateful I have an amazing job, but also where do we go from here? Yeah. And that's the thing. And that's where having that plan comes to play. I think I kind of had a plan in my head. I always wanted to make documentaries on factual television and travel and stuff, which actually got with Blue Peter. Yeah. And then I was like, what's next? Um, and I just saw it and thought that far ahead. And if I'm honest, a lot of other TV presenters maybe at the time were like already thinking five, six years down the line. And I'm a bit kind of happy-go-lucky kind of guy. I was like, oh well, we'll see what happens. Let's go. Um, really have a plan of where you want to be and why you are coming into the industry because that's what people want to hear. Yeah. Um, they want to hear you're hungry and you're ready to um, you're ready to work and watch television, watch British TV, you know. And how would you change it? Yeah, that's what people want to know.
1: You, you do a lot of things. I know you've done, like, um, recently, the swim dem crew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're not averse to helping out. Yeah, yeah. Do you recall a time where you've asked specifically for help? Can you describe a time? Oh, man, I'm really bad at asking for help. It's funny that, but you, do you like it if people come are able to come to you for help?
2: Massive. Like, I don't mind at all. I, I'll always give advice. I'll always offer. But I'm really bad at asking for help because I've always been self-reliant. Right. You know, um... And maybe that's detrimental to my lack of success in certain areas, but, like, I'm just like, if you want to do it, just do it. I have asked for help in certain, for instance, this swimming thing. I knew I couldn't get it off the ground unless I had, like, a big endorser. But actually, I got a big endorser and I was like, I could have done this myself. You know, it's that YouTube thing we're talking about again. Like, that hustle is still within me, like, you know, and you you should never lose that. Like, you know... At the end of the day, people can only say no. Like, I pitched an idea to The Guardian last week. The editor was like, it's too niche for us. I was like, well, how do we make it less niche? He was like, I don't think we can. I was like, well, thanks for your time. Brilliant. Next. Mm
1: -hmm. Do
2: you know what I mean? Like, because I need the editor of The Guardian to endorse that to say, yeah, this is a really good article. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, let's do it. You know, so definitely I'll ask for help or ask help from a friend of mine who was working within The Guardian going, who's the best person to talk to about this? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, people will always help. I mean, it's no skin off their nose to give you an email address. No, they'll only say no if they don't want you or they don't care about what you're saying or they just won't reply but it's no skin off someone's nose to give you the contacts and, you know, it's, it's just part of the industry it's just the way it works so yeah always ask for help though but also believe in your own but it's, it's, that, have, it's having that awareness of how good you are how not good you are don't be afraid to understand your faults if you're not good at something you're not good at something but be willing to learn I think that's an important thing yeah.
1: do, you not, do you feel you're successful?
2: In everyone's eyes, I'm, I've done really well and I'm really successful. It depends on what you gauge success at. On a monetary level, I would gauge that success as I'm okay. On a career level, I still think I've got a long way to go before I am in my head where I think I am. But then in rea- in realistic level, I look at the things that I've accomplished. And they, 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 honestly, these are the three ways that my mind works. Yeah. And this it's the reality level that keeps me, I think I like, and I keep reminding myself that keeps me grounded, is that I've done some unbelievable things. I've met some unbelievable people. You know, I was the Blue Peter presenter at the time that was introducing presenters past, past and present to the Queen. I was the guy. You know, I... I've got a swimming world record. I've travelled to over 118 different cities around the world for free. Um, you know, I've had dinner with a Bolivian ambassador for Britain, you know, like, because I work for the BBC, you know, like, you think you look at all these things and you're just like, oh, all right, I'm, I'm all right, you know, like, you know, and I've you, you been invited to the BAFTAs, you know, all these incredible things and you're just like, yeah, it's actually not that bad. It's not that bad. I've done all right. Okay.
1: Um, my final question um, is... How would you like to be remembered?
2: I'd like to be remembered as one of the best broadcasters in British history. Um, someone who was warm, someone who was relatively real on television and someone that people thought, you know what, he's really good at what he does. Not because he's a black car, but just because he's like actual quality. And that's what I've I've, I strive for. Not necessarily perfection, but I strive for quality. Um, and everything I've made or put out, television projects and stuff, they realise that I've put literally 100% of my energy and my time in it. And I, and even within that respect, I still had time for the people that I care about and regular people because I just don't ever want to remove myself from the real people that matter. Oh my God, I sound like amazing. a politician. No, no, I made <laughs> No, no, no.
1: That was really quite a sweet soundbite. Um, how can people find you on the web
2: or anything? Yeah, um Twitter, Andy Akinwo. Um, how do you spell that? A-N-D-Y-A-K-I-N-W-O. Um, and... Instagram, Io accumularo a Y O A K I N W O L E R E. And uh, yeah, I've got a Facebook page as well. Drop drop me a line on that thing. Cool. So guys,
1: if you uh, if there's anything you wanna get, listen, just give Andy a shout, he's an amazing guy. <laughs> as you can clearly hear from this episode. It's been fascinating and we most likely will do a round two and a follow-up. So uh cheers for listening. This is Black Ticulate and uh well catch you soon. Thank you. Bye. I'd want to personally thank Jimmy, our sound editor, and I'd like to thank you guys for listening. For more episodes, please visit www.lacticulate.com. And also, do share your positive stories with us and everyone else. Thanks for listening.
0: Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag, say hello to Quince.